Hey, this is Mike Ruby, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. I, I read that you love John Mayer. Explain that. I do. <laughs> I really <laughs> love John Mayer. Um, yeah, and I, I love starting an interview like that, actually, because he was kind of the start of, of really my singer-songwriter career before I knew it. So, you know, I listened to John, obviously, when I was a little bit younger. And John's first album, Room for Squares, I guess that was the, the EP, was just unbelievable. I mean, the songwriting is so deep. And for a kid, I think he was like a teenager when he wrote a lot of those songs. And it's just incredible depth in his songwriting. I think only like one of the songs on that record was about a girl uh, and the rest were just about life. And, uh, you know, on top of his incredible songwriting, he's a great singer, a great guitar player and his musicianship and improvising skills are just out of the roof. So he's one of my all-time favorites. I agree with you. I like John Mayer. I mean, I, I kind of got into him with Your your Body's a Wonderland. And of course, that was like the pop hit that I'm sure a lot of people... That's the one yeah, song the, that was about... Yeah, and, and like a lot of people were like, oh, this guy's great. And then next minute when he's coming out with, um, you know, On Your Way Home or, you know, doing covers of Free Fall and people like... I don't, I don't like this guy so much. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is great. Like, you're just you were just bandwagon because it was a pop song. I mean, for me, it was actually all the stuff that never made the radio. Like, uh, like songs is song like um, "Love Suit" and "Neon" and "Comfortable." Uh, yeah, like all, all those kind of you know deep down on the album songs. I just find incredible. "Stop This Train" is like one of the greatest songs i think ever written but yeah I'm, I'm a big fan i don't know if you read this but it kind of ties in your love for john mayer and my love for conan o'brien because conan was actually at an airport one time and there was a no-name singer that was performing at the airport and he said can i you know can i get a picture with you and conan already late for an air like you know boarding a plane said yeah sure no problem uh, took a picture with him, had a brief chat. I think he signed something for him. And the kid was very, very appreciative. And Conan said, well, let me know when you make it big. Who did it end up being? John Mayer. Get out of here. Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool because it's like just, you know, it's you don't know what this kid's going to turn out to be. He could be nobody. What a great story. And I think it kind of ties into it in the fact that anytime Conan, when he was doing the late show, would ask John Mayer to come by or do anything for him, John Mayer was like, are you kidding me? Like, of course, like I will drop anything for you. And I think it's like the same kind of relationship with Dave Chappelle, because he does a lot of stuff with Dave Chappelle as well. So it's kind of cool. I just thought that was something to tie in there. I've read as well, when you look at your promotional stuff, it kind of says that love is an interest as well, that artist. Yeah, I mean, well, Lauv, you know, Lauv is um, obviously a new artist, and there's a whole slew of music in between John Mayer and Lauv that I listened to and played as well. But, you know, as far as songwriters go today, Lauv is, um, he's so authentic with what he says in his music. He has no walls up. He's vulnerable as heck when he sings. And I love that in artists. You know, I, I love artists who can just be themselves. Julia Michaels is another one that comes to mind. James Bay is another that comes to mind. I think you see a lot of that now in the modern music. Like with your examples you mentioned of Julie and Love. I'll go on the extent of like a Sam Smith, for say, or an Adele, if you kind of dated a little bit. But like these artists were coming out and they, they weren't afraid 
Yeah, no, I mean, Sam is a great example. And, and I think that this goes for, you know, for myself and all, all artists too. Sam basically said, you know, um, he, I mean, Sam's got an incredible voice. One of the voices of our ages, I think, just unbelievable singer. But he was not at all famous, uh, you know, for, for a while in his career. And he said the reason was because he was trying to make just, you know, really good kind of sellable music. And the second he stopped trying to make music to sell and just really talk about his own problems and experiences, that's actually when he blew up. And, and he actually kind of thought to himself, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to I'm not going to amount to what I thought I was hoping to. I'm just going to do this for me. And then, boom, that's when it happened. And so, you know, it's definitely a great comparison to Julia Michaels and, and Laub and the others and James Bay that we mentioned, because when you break down those walls, that's when people really care, right? Because then you're really talking about yourself. And, and when you get down to the core of who you are, other people can relate to that. And it's the relatability, like you just said, like, you know, why would you sing a song? Like if, if for say, if someone came to you with a song that you have no idea, like pretty much of, you never went through it, you don't understand it. Why would you sing about it? People are obviously, as much as you give it your people best. People see pe- through yeah, it. Yeah, people will, like, even if you gave it like a knockout performance and people are like, he sings well, it sounded yeah. great. Someone's just still going to be a fan after like, I felt it. He did not feel that song. Something's missing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's kind of get into the background here. You grew up in Toronto, Ontario. Tell me what was life growing up like in Toronto? I mean, I've only been there. It sounds crazy, but I'm wondering, like, growing up there, what was life like? Oh, well, why does it sound crazy? Where, where are you, you know? I'm uh, from Newfoundland, you- so everything sounds crazy outside Newfoundland. No. <laughs> and, and you grew up in Newfoundland as well? Uh, yes, I did. So I, I'm used to, let's put it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll expand it a little bit further just in case what I call the mainlanders and feel free. It's it's just a term we use. But when I went to Ottawa or Toronto, like it's a very friendly vibe in Newfoundland, very homely. So you could leave doors unlocked. You could knock on a neighbor, like, you know, you could walk in on a neighbor and be like, hey, what are you cooking? And they're like, yeah, do you want something? <laughs> I like up in, Ontario, I that. up in Ontario, it's like you could just like look in someone's window and like, hey, what are you looking at? I'm like, there's nothing to look at here. There's literally and, nothing. You know, it's so funny. It's, it's all relative because I, I think the way that you feel about um, your home, Newfoundland, is the way that I actually feel about Toronto because I moved to New York when I was a teenager for, you know, for music. So New York is, you know, relatively speaking compared to Toronto, a lot colder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, Toronto feels pretty cozy. But I've been to Newfoundland. I actually played with the Newfoundland Symphony Orchestra. I think when I was around 20 or 21. And um, that was an incredible experience being in Newfoundland. And the people there are just so outgoing, so friendly and so welcoming, you know, and, and I, I absolutely loved it. It's like you, you were probably like after you perform, someone's like, hey, do you want to come to my house and have a drink? And you're just like, I don't know about that. And then they're just like, oh, come oh, on. Well, bye. We had jello <laughs> shots. We had jello shots after the shows and after rehearsals. I'd never even heard of a jello shot before. Like jello mixed with vodka. I don't know. It was great. <laughs> did, did, you, did you get screeched in? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I want to go back. I, I actually only went the once. It was for like it was like six days of rehearsals and then the show. Um, but I definitely want to go back. I know from being a Newfoundlander, like the experience, like I've never been on the, like, just say the outside perspective of it, but it's funny because when you hear stories of people coming to Newfoundland, that is kind of the, the gist is like, they're very friendly. They're very, uh, welcoming, which is good. And again, I've been to New York over Toronto. And if you chose, if you're telling me, you know, you get that same kind of feel with Toronto, I'd agree with you. It's just that I'm saying like, once you get to the other extreme from all the way to the East coast, 
then go to Toronto, then New York, you're like, okay, Toronto's yeah. Toronto's friendly, but geez, those newfies. But um, yeah, one hundred percent. It's you know, it's all relative. But you know, growing up in Toronto for me was was definitely great. I mean, I I absolutely love being a Canadian. I love being from this country. I love you know the fact that even though Toronto is a city, there's so many parks everywhere you go. Again, you know, for me, I'm comparing it to New York, so it's really not that crowded at all. And um, I, I really do love the city of Toronto and also how far it's come in the past 10 years is, is pretty remarkable as far as food and culture goes. You were mentioning, of course, being like when you went to visit Newfoundland, of course, uh, being part of the, I guess it was like the jazz orchestra there. Kind of explain, because I do find this interesting and I, I don't mean this to be offensive or taking a shot or anything like that, but like jazz, what got you into jazz? You see, only a Newfoundlander would think that was offensive. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, jazz. What got me into jazz? Well, I actually heard my brother um, playing sax at a show, and he was playing with some of his friends. And just the camaraderie they had on stage was so cool. And when I was a kid, my brother is, uh, is a few years older than me, so I-, I was super young when I saw him play. And it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I was like... I want to make music with people like that too. And I also thought that the sax was a really cool instrument. Uh, it's always kind of like the lead instrument in the jazz band. So that's what got me into the sax. And then from there, I got really lucky with you know a great teacher in uh, Toronto named Alex Dean. And he kind of showed me the ropes and introduced me to Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and Coltrane and Dizzy Gillespie and Dexter Gordon and a bunch of great musicians. And from there, you know, it all just kind of became history. Okay. No, I, I do find that interesting because, like, so this is kind of my concept of jazz, and this is what I wanted to apologize off the hop there for that. Because when I think of jazz, I'm thinking like Kenny G. I'm thinking of like you know comedy when like I, I don't know if you ever heard the comedian, but like Mike Birbiglia saying of you know Kenny that all sounds the same. Like you think it sounds mm-hmm. great, but it's the same song. Or you know when you see a Kenny G. cameo in a Katy Perry Last Friday Night song, and you're like. Yeah, it's catchy. It's like I wish I had to listen to more jazz, but it's just like I can't get into it. Um, but yeah. I do, I do like you know the background of because I, I want to mention it because you know when you do hear about like the younger people getting into jazz and then it turns into a music career. Like to me, and listening to your music, you can kind of see. I don't know if it's going to make total sense, but you can kind of see where the background came from. Like you see that you're very passionate about it. You see like the very artistic side of it, where some artists are like, "That sounds fine." It sounds good to me. Uh, but like when you're doing your music, even your video aspects of stuff like Burn Again, I can kind of feel like the jazzy perspective. And I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm guessing to someone that's in jazz, you kind of get what I'm saying? Oh, it's, um, it definitely, these things that, you know, first of all, jazz and classical musics are both such disciplinary musics. And, you know, they take so much practice and they say that in order to be a great jazz player, you have to first be a virtuoso of your instrument. So in order to get there, you got to practice like eight hours a day. <laughs> yeah. And anything that, you know, you've put that much time into, I did that for, for like four or five years in a row, but anything that you put that much time into just kind of becomes a part of who you are and you don't even realize it. So, you know, a few months ago, I was playing at a venue called the Windspear. It was a beautiful theater in Edmonton. And, you know, I was I was singing with a, a, a pop artist and it was a duet. And after the show, you know, he went up to me and he said, Mike, you know, I finally I finally get it. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> and said, 
the way that you sing is so unique because all of the jazz training that you had just kind of seeps out every now and then without you knowing it. And that's what gives you kind of this different type of sound. And I was like, you know, I didn't know if I should take offense to it or if I should become whatever, but it's true. And, you know, all these things that we that we spend so much time doing in our lives naturally will will come out in everything else that we do. So I, I agree with you 100%. I think that you can hear those elements in Burn Again. And I think that you can kind of hear them throughout all the songs that I've released this far and will continue to do so. That that's I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, even a pop singer kind of picked up on that aspect. I read that you are a very summary feel person, like when it comes to things of activity, anything that does with water, anything that does with beaches, you're there. Where did this love of the summer and outdoors come from? Pretty sure I wasn't supposed to be born in Canada, first of all. I can't stand the cold, like really can't stand the cold. And I'm super tolerant of the heat. Like, you give me 25 to 30 degree weather, and I'm very comfortable. Whereas I feel like that's that's a little too hot for a lot of people. A lot of people are like comfortable at 21 or 22. Like, for me, it's 25 to 30. That's my comfort level. Anything kind of, you know, 30 to 35, I'm like, okay, this is nice. It's hot. Anything over 35, yeah, this is hot. So you're basically saying in Newfoundland, when they say 14 degrees, you're out. You're basically saying oh, nothing. I mean, when I was in Newfoundland, it was in, <laughs> and it was so cold and windy, I couldn't deal with it. But yeah, so, you know, there's there's obviously that. So maybe I was supposed to be born a little further down south. But then, you know, there's also the fact that um, living in Toronto in the summers, we get to kind of escape to, you know, lakes nearby. And I've always been somebody who who's loved the lake. I mean, I'm, I used to be a swimmer, love going on like canoe rides and taking canoe trips. That's something that just kind of puts me at ease. And then I also do a sport called wakeboarding, which is kind of like snowboarding on the water. And I do that in cable parks where you're, you're literally towed by a cable. Uh, so there's no pollution or anything like that and then you go on ramps and rails and things like that so yeah i've always definitely always been a, a summer type of person that last one sounds a little bit extreme you better you better be careful with that no <laughs> uh yeah no i've already had a, a few broken bones and <laughs> oh, i mean just just the sound of it just sounds scary scary enough to me that i'm just like you know what if i ever see mike and he's like hey join in tobin i'll be like eh, no I'm, I'm good mike i'm good uh you know what just avoid the rails and the ramps and, oh yeah of course you it's so easy to say that mike so easy um <laughs> you do have a new song out with uh on a unapologetic and you have an ep coming out called you wrote these songs now Again, being a Newfoundlander, kind of as I, as I do, I'm going to joke with you a little bit here, but I do like the song title, You Wrote These Songs, because I'm like, well, who else would write these songs? But I do like that there's no explanation points or question marks, because, man, that could make a big difference to an EP. Like, you wrote these songs, question mark, or you wrote these songs, like almost <laughs> screaming. So I'll, I'll give you credit on the EP there, but tell me how it came about and explain a little bit about the song Unapologetic. Yeah, totally. Well, I guess let's let's talk about Unapologetic first, only because it's already out. So Unapologetic came out uh, a couple weeks ago. It's pretty fresh. And the video came out about a week ago. It's written about the type of person that you kind of never saw yourself falling for. Like it's kind of that that about that badass who every girl kind of, you know, wants to or it, it depends if it's a girl or a guy. But let's let's say it's a girl. Every girl wants to be like her and every guy wants to be with her. And, you know, for me, I'm kind of, I would say I'm just like a, 
pretty friendly, approachable guy. If you see me, like I'm, I'm down to talk about whatever. I'm not that type who like plays it so cool that I'm, you know, I don't have time for you. But this girl kind of like gives off that vibe. And the song is about like, I would never see myself falling for her, but man, I kind of just did. So that's kind of, you know, the, the feel of this song and it's super fun and also summery. And the chorus is, you know, pretty short so you can sing along to it. And, you know, as, as far as the EP goes, the title of it, actually, I put a lot of thought into that and, and, you know, what was the title going to be and, and what played most to every single song kind of in this entire catalog. And for me, I actually wrote almost a thousand songs before realizing that I wanted to be an artist. Like I was just writing for some other artists before I did the, you know, my own artist thing. And once I had a few songs that I could not let go of because they were so me, I realized, you know what, I should release these as an artist because nobody else can really, you know, pull these off just because they're, they're so relatable to my own story. And very much so, yeah. And so the reason it's called You Wrote These Songs is because each song, there's six songs on the EP, and each one was really, truly inspired by somebody in my life. Now, whether that be a good inspiration or a bad inspiration, those inspirations like literally formed the path you know, that I'm on and, and where I'm at today. So that's kind of where the title comes from. Okay, I like that answer because, like, uh, it's very—it's a very thought out and very deep answer. Because, like, if I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of a title of "You wrote these songs," like I said, it's like, yeah, of course he wrote these songs. Who else would write them? But when you explain that, it's more or less like you wrote these songs, like these people that affected you, good or bad, and you're basically exactly yeah. That that sounds very deep. It's, and, it's not. It's not. I wrote yeah, these songs, right? Yeah, that that'd be a whole different album. It's like Mike Ruby presents. I wrote these songs. I'm like, well, yeah. It's like, okay. That'll be that'll be my my third or fourth album. Oh, please, like, please, you know, please. When when I'm a lot bigger and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I wrote these. Songs. Please do. That would be awesome. I think like that's like the Luke the Luke Combs approach of like I have so I have a, like an album art thing signed on my mini fridge here. Luke Combs signed it, and it's called This One's for You. But it's called This One's For You too. So I'm assuming his first album was called This One's For You. And it just changes it a little bit. But I like that idea of if it's like, you wrote these songs. And then the next album is, I wrote these songs. And then the, the third album is, we wrote these songs. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's so creative that he doesn't need to be creative. <laughs> when you were mentioning about the songs that you wrote and you're writing for other artists and you said okay i'm gonna keep these for myself it kind of brought up the idea of like a sam hunt to me you know cop car because keith urban performs it but sam hunt of course gets the acclaim and the credit for it if you don't mind me asking and again you can feel free to pass on i'm not that type of interview that says give me the dirt but who were some of these artists that you were writing for um, they're mostly EDM guys, so, okay. you know, electronic dance music. Some of them, some of them have some pretty good numbers, you know, like songs with over 20 million streams on Spotify, but you know, they're certainly not Sam Hunt or Sam Smith's of the world. Otherwise I think I would stay in that writing lane because I, I'd be living in a pretty nice home in LA right now. But yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, going all along with what you said, there were just certain songs that I wrote, you know, to write that I, that I couldn't let go of and couldn't give to another artists and actually some of the artists said dude you should put this out like this this has a really unique sound and, and you shouldn't give this away no i i agree with you because I, I look at the landscape of it now where you know for as much as i grew up in the 90s so as much as like i love you know the backstreet boys like britney spears christina aguilera and you're thinking like as a kid you're like 
these songs are awesome. Like a 16 year old or something is singing these songs. Great. But then you like, when you grow up, you're kind of a little bit like tormented of like, wait, a 35 or 40 year old wrote a song about, you know, touching someone's body, but you got a 16 year old to sing it. Okay, sure. Whatever. But <laughs> I, I won't let that ruin my childhood. But you know, when, when you see acts today, like, you know, the Sam Hunts, uh, I believe Hardy is another one that's on like the country music scene as well, kind of country pop. But to see those artists, you know, that were writing music for a while for these artists and you didn't even know that they were doing it and you're thinking like oh well Keith Urban has such a great song it's like yeah but Sam no it's Keith Urban and then finally you're like hey Sam Hunt has such a great song they're getting their credit that they deserve and I think that's the kind of generation we're in now where if you can write your own song and perform it you have a lot of props compared to nothing wrong with people performing other people's songs not saying anything bad about that but there's like another realm of I don't need to rely on you to be, give me a song. I can do this in my basement and do this well. True. I think, you know, again, there, there are actually a, a very um, limited amount of songwriters who are like that and who are known for that. You know, and, and those songwriters, first of all, have incredible artist careers for themselves. And then also when they write for some of the other biggest artists in the world, they actually are known for writing that song too. I mean, Ed Sheeran is a good example. He's one of the biggest artists out there, but then, you know, he writes a song for Justin Bieber and everybody knows that he wrote Love Yourself, you know? So it, it kind of, there, there are very few uh, select people who are, who are incredible artists, but also incredible writers. And I guess that's like the path to success that you're going on here now as well, because I mean, you can write your own music, you're performing your own music. You, you clearly got acts that are coming up to you pop stars even that are saying listen like i i finally see this jazz side that's coming out of you which is great because it kind of just shows you like all the hard work that you've been doing is paying off in some aspect and then you have a newfoundlander talking to you on a podcast and you're like who is this guy no <laughs> <laughs> no no definitely not it's interesting you know it's you can look at it as kind of the hard work paying off but for me it's it's almost like, you know, the, the path of life is so windy and curvy and I don't necessarily look at it as, as paying off, but I look at it as, you know, for, for every single one of us, you know, if you're listening to this live or, or, or you know, you're listening to this um, interview, we've all been in so many different places and that's what makes us us and nobody can take that away. And what happens is when, when artists try to sing about things that they're trying to sell, then you don't actually get to see those weird curves and roads that they've taken. And that's what makes us interesting. So I think when we bring it back to, hey, this is the path that I've gone down, I'm just going to be myself, then then again, people are like, right on, man. I'm, I'm all the way on this ride with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how you kind of de- develop your fan base, develop a, a following as well as just being very genuine and giving something that you're not how do i put it it's like it's not that you're copying off anyone this is you it's it's genuine so people are going to relate to it in that sense i guess the the last thing to kind of close out the interview would you like to play a game of how canadian well i'm down to play this game before we play it i gotta tell you a funny story so i went to new york when i was 18 or 19 for school and um, I went to my first party. Uh, I went to Manhattan School of Music. So there was like a party and it was at somebody's place. And, you know, I was talking to um, my class. It was a pretty small class. I think it was like 11 or 12 of us in this jazz program. And, you know, they were like, where are you from? And I was the only non-American there. And they said, holy crap, Canada? And I said, yeah, but, you know, Toronto. And they were like, oh, so is that like a 11 or 12 hour flight from here? <laughs> 
So at that point, I knew it was in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, and I actually played the game of how Canadian on them. Oh, wow. <laughs> so oh, wow. Okay. I said, I said, yes. Yeah, you know, it's 12 hours. And they said, man, you know, we've, we've heard so much about Canada. Like, <laughs> I, I, what's it like? Like, I mean, I hear that there are igloos there. Is that true? And I was like, well, I mean, there are houses, but, you know, I, I don't see an issue with that. It's just, it's just colder in Canada. So everything's ice. <laughs> and I kept going. And then I, I actually got to the point where I said I had a pet bison named Joe. And <laughs> he believed me. Of course and they do. I, I took it so far. And then finally I said I was joking and they were like, oh, really? <laughs> well, 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 I love how you said that because I think Jim Carrey does like a stand up back in the nineties of it's like, you know, like him going to LA for the first time and someone's like, oh, you're from Canada. And he's like, he's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I come from the, the really cold land. It's like we've got igloos and polar bears. And it's like I came from the Arctic. And then, uh, you know, Rick Mercer, of course, a famous Newfoundlander, has a, a, had a show called Made in, I think it was like Made in Canada or Talking to Americans. And he would make up stuff about Canada to Americans. Like Canada is going to become like at this point, like the 51st state of USA. And then we get people actually say Americans, congratulations, Canada on blah, blah, blah. And, you know, little to their, to their knowledge, like that's not true, but he got them to say it on TV. So, <laughs> and I feel like it's, a, it, I feel like, it, I feel like in itself, there's a game of how Newfoundland. Cause like when I, when I went to Ottawa for Carleton for school, I used to ask people, what do you add? Or I'm from Newfoundland. They're like, oh, how'd you get here? I'm like, what do you mean? How did I get here? It's like, there's planes. They're like, oh, you guys got planes? It's like, yeah, no, we're a part of Canada. Like, like relax. Yeah, that's when you say we don't have planes, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we, we took our yeah. boats. Uh, yeah, I swam here. Look at, <laughs> I swam here. They'd be like, you don't got a swimmer's body. I don't believe you. I'd be like, well, thank you. Thank you for knowing that I'm a liar. But... Thank you, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sorry, and... Um... I apologize for Oh, yeah. I'm sorry for lying to you, bye. And they're like, what's a bye? You <laughs> leaving? Um, oh, yeah. That's a, that's a Newfoundland thing, too. So I, um, I actually taught a student from Newfoundland. His name is Josh Chancy. And he went to the York University for uh, Saks. And I was teaching him at one point, And he would always say, like, a, a buy this or a buy that. I had no idea what he was The best about. thing that you could ever do is take, so this actually happened, is take someone from the West Coast and the East Coast and get them to live together. It's a, a completely different dialogue. Like, so I had a roommate named Sydney. And anytime my mom called, I would, I would talk to Sydney fine. And she was like, I don't see your Newfoundland accent. The moment your mom calls or someone from Newfoundland, what do you apply? What do you mean? That's not how we said it. Oh, I didn't tell you to do that. What do you at? And then she'd be like, I didn't understand a single word you just said. I'd be like, sorry about that, Sydney. That's great. So let's let's clue in with the game here. So I'll start. And then, of course, you fill in or you give your own kind of version of how Canadian. So I'm going to use the example here of I have a fridge in my in my room right now that's filled with pineapple and lime crush. I guess you can call that very... Canadian or very Newfoundland because lime or uh, pineapple crush is only available in Newfoundland. But how Canadian? I've never heard of that. You know, there isn't a house or a, a department store or a grocery store within 30 miles. I don't know where we can go, but uh, I guess we can go to the Tim Hortons five feet from here. There you go. That is a how Canadian. Yes, that's very true. How Canadian. <laughs> the, the other one that I'll, I'll clue up and then you get the last one here is... I, I banged into someone on the way to school. They dropped their books and they apologized to me for getting in my way. 
How Canadian? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have another one. See, <laughs> I was actually gonna do. I was actually gonna do one similar to that about manners and how Canadians are just so nice. Well, in in fairness, if you had to come up with one of saying that you open a door for someone and it's like a good distance, and they're and you apologize for them for making them walk. Coleman Hell and Carlton Stone of Port Cities both gave me that exact example, and I was like. You guys are nailing how Canadian because that always happens no matter where you go in Canada. You're like opening a door for someone like maybe it's I feel like there should be a safe distance between, you know, when it's friendly and too friendly because then you're making them run. And then you're like, oh, I'm sorry for making you run to the door that I opened for you because I felt like you needed the door opened. And they're like, no, it's okay. And you're like, sorry. It's like, why yeah, did I apologize? That, that stuff doesn't exist in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more or less like you're like right behind them and they shut the door in your face. And then they're like, hey, what what, what happened there? It's like, I didn't see you, man. It's like, no, you've seen me. It's like, yeah. You know what? But- it, wouldn't, it wouldn't even be an I didn't see you. They'd be gone. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Mike Ruby for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thanks for listening and good night. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga, Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.